0: Welcome to Macintosh and Mod. Haven't seen what? The podcast where we make each other watch movies we should have already seen. I'm Diana. And I'm David. And today we are watching Die
1: Another Day. James Bond is sent to investigate the connection between a North Korean terrorist and a diamond mogul who is funding the development of an international space weapon.
0: And we are continuing our lie of a podcast because we have seen this movie.
1: But boy, did we forget it.
0: Yeah, but because we are continuing our Bond series... We had to bring on a guest, and boy, did we get the perfect guest.
1: Our guest is the amazing Becca from Magic Folk. Yay! Sindra himself is here. Hey, Becca.
0: Hey. Hello, welcome to- Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. Uh, So, you have some history with Bond. I have some history with this specific Bond. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yes, would you like to share that? Sure. So-
2: this movie came out in, what, 2002? Yes. Um, I would have been 10 at the time, and this was my very first Bond movie. Wow. that That is quite the introduction. <laughs> this was the very first one. And since then, I haven't seen a ton of other ones. I think I've seen Goldeneye once all the way through. I loved it, but I think I've only seen it once. I saw Skyfall in theaters. I saw Casino Royale in theaters. And I think those are the only other Bond movies I've... Or no, I watched Spectre, too. But Spectre, I remember nothing about. Same, same. No one does. I I couldn't tell you anything that
1: happened in that movie.
0: Same. I've uh, tried to watch it twice, and I know I've fallen asleep both
1: times. <laughs> that movie is a black hole. Like, it just it I, happened. I, I, did it happen? No one remembers. I, I'm starting to have my doubts. I know it exists. I know
0: that's where, like, the octopus ring comes into play. That's all I know.
1: If it didn't happen, there's, like, $200 million that just somehow went missing. it's
0: it's a farce
1: (laughs) it's a global conspiracy that makes sense not that maybe eon just made a crappy movie
0: (laughs) they have certainly done that before um this movie is an experience (laughs) and and quite the introduction to bond because this is also the 20th bond film Mm mm-hmm
1: there's so much going on in this movie.
0: <laughs> there, there really, truly
1: is. So I have to ask this before we get into our our thoughts. Now, do you recall how you felt seeing this at like ten?
2: I feel like I just thought it was cool. Like, oh yeah, cool explosions, car chases, action, love it. That's that's great. And I'm I'm pretty sure that my parents like made me close my eyes during the one kind of amorous scene. Um, and you know just. Standard 10-year-old stuff, I guess. Sure. I was just was amazed by the exciting action
1: stuff. So we should get this right off the bat. This is not a good movie.
0: Oh, no. no. Objectively, <laughs> no. Th- this, is, um, this is bad. This is a bad movie.
1: But it is, it is the more we watched it, the more I was like, it is bad in that special kind of bad way. Because they are swinging for the fences on plot on acting, on everything. Oh, for sure. There's still so many things that I liked. Yeah. Yeah, a movie can be
2: bad, but it can still be
1: fun. Exactly. And, you know, the thing is, from the Bond franchise, we haven't had a lot of those. The bad Bond movies are boring. This was not boring. No. I was just very confused. (laughs) (laughs) Just getting done with World is Not Enough. And the complaint from that movie being that we lost so much context that it just gets worse and worse as it goes along. But this one is just from the beginning. They threw everything at the wall they could think of for this movie. Mm -hmm.
0: There's a lot going on. They tried (laughs) too many things. They were trying too hard to make a very special Bond
1: movie. Oh, my God.
0: Stay on a very special Bond film. Did they (laughs) ever? They did. Woo.
1: So anyway, getting into the details, the budget for this film was $142 million. Okay. It's the highest for a Bond film to date. That's two and a half times more money than GoldenEye cost. Damn. To put into perspective, it opened to just over $47 million, made $161 million in the US, and as with every other Pierce Brosnan movie... It beat the record for the highest-grossing Bond film at $432 million worldwide. Okay.
0: It just keeps making money. Yeah.
1: People went to see it. There's no denying that. Our writers are Neil Purvis and Robert Wade. As we've talked about, Purvis and Wade are our Bond writers into perpetuity, it seems. They're Mm -hmm. the new Richard Maybaum and Michael Wilson. And to a person... Neil Purvis, Robert Wade, Michael G. Wilson, the producer, and Barbara Broccoli, the exec producer, have all admitted that they were wildly off the mark for the audience of this film. <laughs> <laughs> they were all like, this movie is bad and we accept that it's bad.
2: Yeah, we goofed up this time, guys. Sorry. <laughs> I- we really goofed this one up.
0: I appreciate that they can admit that because that's important for personal growth.
1: Watching 20 of these, there is a formula uh-huh. to how they work. Absolutely. Absolutely. And where the movies are good or bad lies in how simple they keep the formula while also making the in-between parts interesting.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And this movie just threw the formula out the fucking window.
0: Well, it it decided, let's double down on the formula and call back everything we know about the franchise and not try to connect any of these dots.
1: So that's something that's in the script, and it's it's a piece of trivia, but- it is a long laundry list, but there are references to every previous Bond film within the story of this movie. Oh, good grief. Those poor writers. <laughs> I know. And when I heard that, I went, that's what they did. Yeah. They made, a anim- they, they made a 20th celebration Bond movie and were like, this is what you have to do. You have to fit these references in. And then they wrote the plot around that. There's
0: a way to do that. But you don't have to do it with the plot. It can be the gadget from this one, a villain similar to that one, a location from this one, a suit from that one, a Bond girl who looks like that one. You can have all of it, but it doesn't have to be the same element. A funny
2: catchphrase.
0: Exactly. Something offhanded. Totally. Yeah, and he meets
1: up with Q in the subway station, Mm -hmm. and they did it. That- they have, like, there's a there's a floating alligator submarine that's from one of the Roger Moore movies, and then there's this mini-sub over here. There's, like, these three there's, things. The jetpack. There's, like, ten
0: different callbacks in that one scene, and that alone gives you half of the
1: films. That's all we needed. And it's hilarious. It should have just been that one scene to reference it, and we would have been fine.
2: And you know what? He kind of summed up all of the references in one when he said, this is the 20th watch I gave you. Weapon, please. One pane, unbreakable glass, one standard issue ring finger. Twist, so, voila. Ultra high frequency, single digit, sonic agitator unit. You know, you're cleverer than you look. Hmm. Still better than looking cleverer than you are. Follow me, please. Now, new watch, um, this will be your 20th, I believe. Our time flies. Yes, W, why didn't you establish a record by actually returning this one?
0: Yes. yes. Boom. There you go. You're done. <laughs> That's, no more references needed. That's great. Like, I, I kind of like the little device he uses in his mouth when he goes underwater because it's a great callback to Thunderball. Yeah. Like, those tiny little ones I'm fine with because if you know it, you know it. And they don't draw attention to themselves. And they're fine, but
1: they like completely but, yeah. went out of their way to do it.
0: Oh, they they tried too hard. They should have just written their story and then said, "How can we layer in things to add in those callbacks?" Because it's the twentieth. Not let's write a a twentieth movie tribute. <sighs> they did it backwards.
1: The writing's not great. No, come on, guys. <laughs> but it is not the reason this movie is buck fucking wild. Okay, that comes from our director, oh. Lee Tamahori. Lee Tamahori, before this, directed the Maori action drama Once Were Warriors, and then The Edge and Along Came a Spider. After this, he directed Triple X, State of the Union, Next, and The Devil's Double, the Saddam Hussein's Son HBO movie.
0: Uh-oh. Okay, Okay, I know about the Triple X movie, and I know about Along Came a Spider? Yes. That's all I got.
1: Next the Nicolas Cage movie? Yeah. Yeah.
0: Huh. <laughs> Interesting choice.
1: Yeah, he um he is a New Zealand director. He is half Maori, which is cool. Cool. Cool to see. But he kept shoving decisions into this movie that made things way unnecessary. First of all, he deliberately bleached all of the North Korean scenes of any color to try and show it as inhospitable.
0: Huh. I don't like that.
1: He also insisted on the car chase at the Ice Palace.
0: I mean, it was cool. Unnecessary, but kind of cool. Like, the car chase
2: that happened, like, culminated in the Ice Palace, or just the whole yes. glacier thing altogether?
1: The, just the entire thing. It okay. was really cool. I think, I think specifically the one inside the palace melting okay. down.
0: That was the coolest one, though.
1: Well, that's fair. I'm- he... I he mean, basically said, "We have this amazing set. We need to do a car chase inside and of it." And
0: they really showcased the car in that that thing. So i i gonna I'm gonna let them have that one.
1: Well, maybe, but as we will see, it caused the production a ton of stress. Okay,
0: that's just the way it is on a Bond film. Okay, that's just par for the course. At least did did anybody lose a foot this time? <laughs>
1: Lose a foot on a mini helicopter? No.
0: Okay, then I'm fine with it. That's my benchmark for I'm fine with it. Um, (laughs) Nobody died. Nobody lost a foot. We're good.
1: Also at Tomahori's suggestion, this is the first time in a Bond film where we see the bullet zoom by the gun barrel after Bond fires.
2: Hmm. Okay. All right. So you wanted to shoot the audience, basically
1: it's so 2002 we're getting dirty it's edgy pun dirty now it's so fucking edgy edgy. guys
0: (laughs) it's so fucking edgy and i love
2: it it's good (laughs) Uh, (laughs) bigger budgets bigger fires bigger guns everything more torture
1: everything and he apparently also demanded the cgi kite surfing sequence happen oh god
2: <laughs> okay, watching that back for the first time, probably in my adult life, I think I was just laughing on my couch, yeah, because i I realized
0: how badly it was done. It is so bad. like what were you thinking i I was watching that going i can i I really just want to watch the sequence of Pierce brazen filming the kite surfing because <laughs> I think that would be more enjoyable than what ended up in the film
2: I mean it was like the Adam West Batman surfing scene.
1: Uh-huh. But that's what it, it looked is. like.
0: It does. It really does. Want to
1: want to hear a worse one? Please. During the initial car chase off the glacier, he wanted to get a scene of PVC clad women chasing him to the car. What?
2: <laughs> <laughs> Why? <laughs> Where did they come from? It's 2002 and we're
0: fucking edgy, man. New millennium, new attitude. <laughs> we, we needed more ladies. That that was that's what we needed. Oh boy. Oh, dear Lord.
1: <laughs> um, there were other issues going on. There was a UK actor strike looming over the production in December 2001, and Eon allegedly made a deal with the equity union to proceed, even if the dispute wasn't resolved.
0: That's kind of shady. I, <laughs> I mean, That sounds like the Broccoli family, though.
1: It wound up being okay, because the whole thing got resolved before they started filming anyway. Okay. But, I don't know. It's some weird backroom dealing, but I think they were just like, we're making this fucking movie. I don't care how we do it.
2: Okay. It's gonna happen and it has to happen on time for this anniversary. Yeah, pretty don't much. screw this up. Don't screw up our party.
1: Well, and if 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 you will recall, this is a double anniversary. Oh. Because this is not only the twentieth Bond film, this is the fortieth anniversary of the franchise.
0: Oh well damn.
1: Doctor No came out in nineteen sixty-two. Whoa. Shit! So it's it's a double anniversary film they're it's making. It's a twenty
0: forty anniversary.
1: My God! How did they screw this up this bad? They, they
0: <laughs> well, look at who their director is. Yeah, well, they picked the. They did this with the last film too. They picked a documentary person.
1: They picked a bad director, and uh, guess who could have been better?
0: A lot of people.
1: Brett Ratner of Red Dragon and Rush Hour was at one point
0: yes named
1: on because huh. then it
0: would have been funny
1: now here's the thing in 2002 brett ratner mm-hmm. at the at his peak right after rush hour uh-huh. this could have been a cool ass movie it would have been and it probably would have had some of these same elements but it would have felt more cohesive
0: yeah rush hour is a great movie that movie slaps
1: Hmm. i've never seen red dragon but i hear it slaps yeah i haven't seen that movie Stuart Baird, who made Executive Decision, U.S. Marshals, and went on to be the editor of Casino Royale and Skyfall. Ooh. So they eventually got him. Yeah. Yeah. And then, bringing up the rear, Stephen Hopkins, who directed Nightmare on Elm Street 5, The Dream Child, Predator 2, and 1998's Lost in Space.
0: So, okay, 1998's Lost in Space was not bad. I enjoyed that film.
1: It was A huge bomb, but it was a good movie. It was
0: a good movie. I have no connection to the original series, so like I, like as someone coming to it just to see a sci-fi movie, I was like, "This is enjoyable." But those other films, I can, I've never seen, and I know they were not received well either.
1: Give me Brett Ratner, Brett Ratner, or any of those late '90s action dudes. Any of them, yeah, would have been such a better choice for this movie. Yeah, I mean, if we're gonna go full early to mid '2000s for the Bond franchise, because That's what we have to do now, I guess. At Mm -hmm. least get somebody super competent.
0: You have to have somebody who has experience with action. Well,
1: Lee Tomahori does. Long came a spider. But no. (laughs) But no. Oh, goodness. All right. A note before we get into all of our cast. Only the regular performers had been cast four weeks prior to filming beginning. Okay. Brosnan... Dench, Samantha Bond, Colin Salmon, and John Cleese were the only people signed on to the movie. Oh. So they were clearly doing last-minute reworkings here. And first up, we have our man Pierce Brosnan playing James Bond for the final time. What do we think of Pierce as James Bond? I love him. I'm into it in this movie. Oh heck yeah! Hmm. Um,
2: I kind of do too. I I don't know. I just I like his I like his wittiness. I love the little
0: the punny quips. Those are those are the best to me. He was the punniest of all the bonds. Oh my god. Sure. And he's still the primmest. I mean, I loved when he gets to the hotel, send up blah 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 and my tailor.
2: My usual suite,
0: please. Do you have a credit card? Or even any luggage. So Mr. Bond, so good to see you. It's
2: been a long time. Mr. Chang. <laughs> Perhaps you could send out my tailor and some food. The lobster's good with quail's eggs
0: and sliced seaweed.
2: hmm And if there's any left, uh, 61 Bollinger. Of course.
0: But, I call call-
2: Been busy, have we, Mr. Bond? Just surviving, Mr. Chang. Just surviving.
0: Because the first thing he's going to do is get all prim again. Of course. I like that part of his Bondness. It's very cute.
1: I like his broodiness in this movie, too.
0: He is a lot more broody.
1: But, I mean, to be fair, he spent months I in mean. a North Korea detention center getting tortured. So, you know, he's going to be a little pissed.
0: I don't think he pulled that off at <laughs> all. <laughs> I'm sorry, Pierce Brosnan. You In, in this film, because in The Foreigner, he kind of pulled that element off really well. Like the rough guy thing. Mm. Yeah. Uh, he did not pull that off in this film. I did not believe him as this tough
1: guy. I didn't believe him as the tough guy, but what I did believe was him being really mad at M.
0: I did believe that.
1: All of the stuff with him and M was so good in this movie. I agree.
2: I definitely did not believe him as a man who had been tortured for 14 months.
1: <laughs>
2: uh, fair. Someone who had not seen the light of day for 14 months.
1: With his yeah. with his fake fright wig and plastered on beard. <laughs>
2: and then he just yeah. comes strolling into Hong Kong like, okay, everything's fine now, I guess.
1: Mm-hmm. I, I don't have any mental health issues whatsoever.
2: I haven't been traumatized at all. Mm-mm. I feel great. Send up
0: my tailor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh,
1: <sighs> yeah. He was not a fan of the overdone effects and gadgets in this movie. He really wanted to go darker. And so I think that's the tension, is that he wants this character to be darker. They mm-hmm. kind of do that a little bit, but then they blew everything on the special effects.
0: Okay, that makes sense.
1: And Roger Moore in particular lambasted the movie publicly, mm-hmm. specifically the bad CGI and the invisible car.
0: Okay, the invisible car is fucking cool no it's not (laughs) shut up roger moore (laughs) it's so stupid fucking love you roger moore the invisible car is the shit it is (laughs) the bad cgi he's allowed to bitch about
1: well becca i guess you're gonna have to solve this for us is the invisible car awesome or the worst
0: (sighs) from a bad movie
2: perspective it's pretty cool but listening listening to john cleese explain it i thought i really didn't give this any second thought as a kid did i (laughs) That's fair. It's like, oh, yeah, it it just reflects kind of what it sees and approximates, you know, and I'm like,
1: what? Well, see, here's the funny thing is that I'm thinking now to, if you've seen Spider-Man Homecoming, they use the same thing. Mm-hmm. The Avengers plane, when they're taking off to bring all the stuff to headquarters, same principle. It's got cameras on the outside that reflect what's going on. Yeah. It's, the it's, Quinjet does it, too. And I was like, holy shit, they stole it from Die Another Day.
0: <laughs> no, that's been the invisible technology for a long time. Know,
1: that is actually like I think the real technology, but it's just it is funny that, especially in the moment when John Cleese walks behind it and does an actual like silly walk mm-hmm. as a minister of silly walks because he's walking behind a distorted invisible camera.
0: I also definitely caught that flesh wound joke, yes,
1: there's so many.
0: He 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 really hammed up his time as unofficial QQ in this one. I really wish they'd have kept him.
1: <laughs> I love what they did with Ben Winshaw, but like I really wish John Cleese had just stuck around for Q Branch.
0: I wouldn't have minded him. We would have seen him training the Ben Winshaw character. Something Q. like that. <laughs> oh, that would have been yeah. great. I've I've said it before and I'll say it again. The one thing I really am dying to see. In a Bond film, and I would love to see it in 25, No Time to Die is the official handoff of the James Bond moniker. We already know that 00 is just is just an assignment number. I want to see the name be assigned off to. You might get your wish. I really freaking hope so. It's just, I I need to see it in a movie because it would be cool. <laughs>
1: okay. Now, <laughs> he wanted all of this to go darker. He wound up leaving the franchise, and of course... That's exactly what they did with the next film. uh Uh (laughs) Which
2: is funny because I didn't like that. Because again, my perception of James Bond was he's funny, Uh he's charming, he doesn't let things get to him, he's, you know, all these things. And then Daniel Craig James Bond comes along and he's dark and brooding. And I thought, that's not Bond. He's not James Bond. He's mean. He's not funny at all. Well, I totally get that. It's totally- that I Again, totally understand that switch. Die Another Day was my benchmark for Bond. And so <laughs> being launched into Daniel Craig James Bond was just completely wrong to me. Uh-huh. I will say
1: you would probably enjoy some Roger Moore Bond.
2: You probably probably love so.
0: Roger Moore.
2: All the lowest, rated ones, I'd probably eat them up.
1: The, the but- Spy Who Loved Me in particular.
0: Yeah, that one is great. He's super horny and it's also a good story. <laughs>
1: He is the horniest Bond. He is.
0: He can get it. (laughs) I'll have to check it out. That that one's worth watching.
1: Uh, This was Pierce's least favorite Bond film of all of them. (laughs) For his captive scenes, he had to spend three hours in makeup for the hair and false beard.
0: (laughs) Should have been four.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And this opening sequence, showing his torture by the North Korean guards, was the first title sequence telling an actual part of the story instead of being a designed sequence instead.
0: I really liked that. Yeah, that's a cool idea. I, I it, sort of, it told us what was happening to him, and I liked that it kind of like, we didn't have to spend 20 minutes getting that part of the story. And I I kind of liked skipping, you know, four minutes of just naked ladies <laughs> on screen. That's fair. I mean, like, sometimes the naked ladies are cool, but sometimes I'm like, I'm done, I'm cool.
2: <laughs> yeah, and like, I don't know. The CGI is dated, of course, but I thought that scene was pretty well done. I mean, for its time, it looks pretty good. Yep.
1: The opening sequence looks really good.
2: Yep. And I like the, the cool elemental ladies. I think that's really neat. Yeah. like Especially the the lightning ladies that kind of twitch and move as if they were <laughs> lightning. That's really cool. Yes. <laughs>
1: yeah. It was, it was a very cool idea, and they kept it in the style of the franchise mm-hmm. while still showing something that was horrific.
2: See, that's an edgy thing they did right. Good job, guys.
1: One thing. Good grief.
2: We're going to put that on the checklist. Good job. But
1: talking about this, it also makes me realize that one of the biggest story problems is they keep going back and forth between are we going to be dark and edgy or are we going to be the same silly Pierce Brosnan bond? And they tried to straddle both sides and it's like, it doesn't work, man. You got to pick one or the other.
0: Yeah, he can't do both at the same time. No,
1: he could do dark and brooding if you wanted him to but they couldn't make up their minds. Mm -hmm.
0: But also, would that have been too
2: jarring to jump into a brooding Pierce Brosnan after doing all of his other films as James Bond? Would that have worked?
1: GoldenEye's pretty dark at times.
0: You know, I think after The World Is Not Enough, it would have been okay for him to have gotten dark and brooding. He's getting older. He keeps fighting with M. Stuff's not great. Like I think it would have been okay to progress this character into something dark and and not good and like he's starting to get towards the end of his career and like I don't know, they could have done it, but they would have had to have the right story.
1: Sure. This also would have been a perfect movie for Timothy Dalton to be in instead.
0: Oh, Timothy Dalton could have done this.
1: Timothy really well. Dalton Bond would have been perfect for this story.
0: Yeah, because he could do brooding and charming well at the same time. He yeah. could, he could do that switch in a way that brosnan can't Mm -hmm. sorry brosnan
1: they all have their pluses and their minuses brosnan got a knee injury doing a stunt in the hovercraft sequence which caused major problems from an old knee injury that he got way back whoever knows because he was in every scene in that sequence and they could not work around him they had to shut everything down for a full seven days while he healed Hmm. and that was the first time a Bond film ever had to completely shut down for an injury? So, oh
2: well, I wonder when he got that. Like, at what point during the sequence did the injury occur? I wonder.
1: I have no idea. Hmm. I mean, it is a balls-to-the-wall stunt sequence. Oh, sure. Even with the CGI stuff, like, yeah. there is a ton going on in that opening. Mm-hmm. On to the worst Bond girl of all time.
0: Oh, don't say that.
1: As noted by the fans, this is, this is just the title that she has been given.
0: Really? I thought it, I thought it was Denise Richards.
1: That's the debate. Okay. The debate Fair. is Fair. Christmas Jones versus Halle Berry as Jinx Johnson. I like Jinx. Before this, Halle Berry was in Jungle Fever, The Last Boy Scout, Boomerang, The Program, The Flintstones... Executive Decision, BAPS, Bullworth, X-Men, Swordfish, and Monsters Ball. After this, X2, Gothica, Catwoman, Robots, X-Men The Last Stand, Things We Lost in the Fire, Cloud Atlas, X-Men Days of Future Past, Extant Kingsman, The Golden Circle, and John Wick Chapter 3. What do we think of Halle Berry in this film?
0: She is written horribly.
1: That is part of the problem. There
0: is no doubt in my mind. But she She's came ri- through with that yo mama joke. Yo mama joke was pretty good. She came through. The first half of the film, she is god-awful. I cannot stand her in any way, shape, or form. When they put her to work and they make her like action, she's great in this movie.
1: And that is that is almost all writing. Yes. Because they they write her so poorly when they're clearly trying to play a okay, I'm going to be quiet and demure. Mm-hmm and just let you string me along until you don't realize that I'm actually my own double agent. Jean Johnson. my friends call me Jinx.
2: My friends call me James Bond. Jinx, you say?
0: Born on Friday the 13th.
2: You believe in bad
0: luck? Let's just say my relationships don't seem to last.
1: Mm, I know the feeling.
0: Yeah, it's like... It's almost like she was originally several different characters, and then they decided to make her all one character. Oh well. Oh oh, did I stumble upon into some hmm, of your trivia?
1: That is interesting because that casting of Halle Berry required a late story change. See, in the original script for this film, Jinx was supposed to be the traitor, mm. not the Rosamund Pike character. Mm. But when they cast Halle fucking Berry, fresh off. Of Oscar season, yeah. they realized they had to make her a, a good guy, uh-huh. and so they had to completely rethink the movie.
0: Well, they didn't. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> but that, ex- that explains a lot. They okay.
1: didn't rewrite it. They just patched it, hoping it would be okay.
0: It's not.
1: And it's not. And it makes
0: her performance a joke.
1: Because the
0: first part of the movie, I hate her. I cannot stand her, but then later, she's great. Yep. And I like her with Pierce Brosnan. And I love I love having a Bond lady of color. She's great.
2: I'm also a big fan of her looking directly into the camera for that jump off of the wall in, yes. in the Cuba scene.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. So good. That's just- that's She's just, like, yeah, you know this movie sucks. Splash. Yeah. It's like, I'm getting paid. I don't care.
1: In both of these cases, her and Denise Richards, because we also came, we also looked at Denise Richards and World Is Not Enough, and we're like, she's actually great. And doing everything she could with a really shitty character. And it's like, it's all how these two were written. It has nothing to do with their performance.
0: Actually, my problem with Denise Richards' character is how they costumed her in the first time we meet her. Yeah, literally. That's the only problem with Christmas Jones. the biggest problem. The rest of it makes total sense.
1: Five seconds of film time won her a Razzie. Yep. For no reason.
0: (laughs) Yep, she didn't deserve it. Halle Berry's just fine as, as an actress, so.
1: Lots of trivia for her. Debris from a smoke grenade landed in her eye in a scene, Ew. and it required an actual 30-minute operation to get the debris out.
0: Ew. Ew. I had something like that happen to me at school when I was in high school. It was really messed up.
1: There was a spinoff planned for Jinx's character. The script was actually written, and Stephen Frears, the guy who directed The Queen and The Damned United, Damn. and is doing The Crown, was going to direct that movie. But, because other movies like Charlie's Angels Full Throttle and Tomb Raider The Cradle of Life bombed at the box office, MGM got scared into saying, we're not going to do this movie. Yeah. They were too scared it wasn't going to make money.
2: Has anything like that happened before? Like, have they ever done a Bond spinoff movie? No. no? Then what made not them think the this was a good 80's idea, 80's. idea now?
1: <laughs> Halle Berry. Halle Berry. That, that really is it. <laughs> They they made so many weird decisions for this movie. It is one of the most bizarre drunk? entries.
2: Were they drunk? I mean, that's high? like the freaking Scorpion King coming out of the Mummy. Like he was such a <laughs> minuscule character, and then he gets his own movie. Yeah, that why? Makes sense.
1: I saw the Scorpion King. I thought it was.
2: I mean, there's nothing wrong with it. I'm just saying it doesn't make any sense.
1: Halle Berry has gone on record though as saying she would love to return at any point as Jinx. And said she would even work for free just to do the role. That's so okay. strange. Uh, her bikini scenes in Cadiz were actually shot in the winter. So in between sequences, she had to be wrapped in warm towels so she wouldn't like freeze on set. Okay. <laughs> These movies are so stupid. During the filming of this movie, she had to leave for a few days to go to the 2002 Oscars where she won Best Actress.
2: Mm. It's a pretty good reason to leave.
1: Yeah, yep, but there's sense. a there's a fun side story. She was not the only member of this film to do well at the Oscars. Sound recordist Chris Monroe won Best Sound that year for Black Hawk Down.
0: Oh, okay, that's nice.
1: And that award was presented to him by Halle Berry.
0: Ah, oh, that's kind of fun. That's cool.
1: And that, of course, means that Halle Berry is the only official Bond girl to win an Oscar.
2: Just not for the being a Bond girl. <laughs>
1: That's correct. Kim Basinger also won an Oscar, but she is not an official, official Bond, Bond girl, girl no. because she was in the Unsanctioned Bond movie. Yep. Mm. Jinx's fuchsia dress was designed by Donatella Versace at the request of the costume designer. It's
0: a good dress.
1: It's a fantastic dress. Mm-hmm. And who could have been better? Hmm. Kelly Brooke of Smallville and Piranha 3D and Catherine Zeta-Jones.
0: Hmm. Catherine Zeta-Jones is always a lovely option for a Bond girl.
1: Catherine Zeta-Jones would have been amazing in The World Is Not Enough as Electra King.
0: Oh, she would have been perfect for Electra King. Oh, yes, she would have.
1: And in this movie, with Jinx as a traitor, as the actual baddie, yeah, I could do that.
0: Mm-hmm. I could, could be fine. I don't know who Kelly Brooke is.
1: I don't either. She was the only person of note, though. <laughs> On to Toby Stevens playing Gustav Graves. Before this, he was in Orlando, which we've watched for this show.
0: Oh, yeah.
1: Twelfth Night or What You Will. That movie is so good. It's one of the best Shakespeare adaptations. Sunset Heights, Space Cowboys. And after this, a bunch of British shit,
0: 13 <laughs> Hours,
1: Black Sails, and 2018's TV series, Lost in Space on Netflix.
0: Okay. He's pretty good.
1: Do we like our bad guy?
0: Not really. <laughs> um
1: that might be the most convoluted bad guy plot I've ever seen out of any of these movies.
2: Yeah, that's there's a lot going on with that. There's a lot to unpack.
0: It's it's a
2: lot. <laughs> it's just the fact that okay, so Bond got tortured for 14 months. And in uh-huh. 14 months, we go from being a North Korean colonel to being an English billionaire diamond miner. Well, Argentinian, Argentinian. Excuse me. Well, um, that's
1: that's the even weirder point is that he's like an Argentinian orphan turned wealthy diamond miner, dude.
2: But somehow he was able to go through all this genetic stuff in fourteen months and make a name for himself and become <laughs> <It's-> knighted. <laughs> Pretty much. It's and all Bond could do was grow a beard. Yeah.
1: <laughs> There's a big contrast here. There's so many things going on with that character. He is fine at being a prudish, nasty British rich dude. The like, a- oh, he's good at that.
0: The actor did his job. Yeah, he showed up, did his job. I am not mad at him at all. The writing is garbage.
1: This is where it. When I saw the trivia on this before we watched the movie, and I was like, wait. And then about halfway through, it clicked of what that meant and we got to that scene and I was like fucking really this is what we did yep that was when I was like wow you just completely jumped the shark i think that's that's exactly the moment where this movie just turns into i don't know where we're going but okay to holy crap this is a disaster
0: it it, it is it is a disaster but it it's just it's not his fault he's no. he's fine
1: some fun notes he Gets knighted in this movie in England, his character does. Mm -hmm. His parents, Sir Robert Stevens and Dame Maggie Smith, have both been knighted.
0: His mom is Maggie Smith?
1: Uh Uh-huh. Yes, that Maggie Smith, everybody. Oh, shit. Huh. The inspiration for Graves is widely considered to be Sir Richard Branson. All right. Makes a little bit of sense. It does. For that character, Mm -hmm. other than the wild-ass- curveball they throw us Mm -hmm. and funny enough toby stevens has actually played james bond in bbc radio adaptations of dr no goldfinger from russia with love on her majesty's secret service diamonds are forever thunderball and moonraker wow so he has major ties to the franchise to this day all of those are relatively recent adaptations that's cool at 33 years old, he was the youngest Bond villain to date and 16 years younger than Brosnan in this film. I mean, that's cool. And he is technically the first Bond villain to be played by two actors in the same film. Barf. <laughs>
0: it's just, it feels gross. Cause it is. Cause it is.
1: Cause it, it's gross. Cause it's, it's gross. just fucking gross. gross. <laughs> On to Rosamond Pike as Miranda Frost. Before this, she did a lot of British television. But this is her first film role. After this, she would be in Promised Land, The Libertine, 2005's Pride and Prejudice, Fracture, An Education, Surrogates, Wrath of the Titans, Jack Reacher, The World's End, Gone Girl, Hostiles, A Private War, The Informer, Radioactive, and Thunderbirds Are Go.
2: I remember seeing her in, I didn't watch the whole thing, but I remember seeing bits of her in Pride and Prejudice, and all I could think about was her as Miranda Frost,
0: Mm-hmm. And thinking, like, she's too sweet and innocent here. When she showed up on screen, I like, do you know who that is? Like, that's Roseman Pike. And I was just like, this is the reason why she was cast in Gone Girl, because she has she not aged. Like, I remember, what's his face? David Fincher said she can look 25 and 35 at the exact same time. That woman has not aged at all.
1: And is a hell of an actress. She's phenomenal.
0: I really loved her in this role.
1: She is a highlight in this movie and almost everything she's ever in. Let's like, see if this makes it feel any more awesome. She was cast only five days prior to principal photography. Shit. Yeah, that's awesome. Her first on screen film acting role was opposite Dame Judy Dench. She crushed it.
0: Yeah, she killed that. And she
1: was apparently terrified.
0: <laughs> it did not show. Because <laughs> that scene is not easy and it did not show at all. It's one of the best scenes in the movie. It's great
2: he'll light the fuse on any explosive situation and be a danger to himself and others. kill first, ask questions later. I think he's a blunt instrument whose primary method is to provoke and confront. a
1: man
0: nobody can get close to.
1: a womanizer. well you're going to be seeing a lot more of him in Iceland.
0: with great respect
1: a man like him could blow my cover. Miss Frost you volunteered for this operation, but in three months, you've turned up next to nothing. Graves seems to be clean. Well, Bon thinks differently, so I'm going to let him do what you so ably described. Mix things up a little with Mr. Graves. And with you there, things won't be able to get out of hand. And she had to leave for a day of filming to go to her English literature graduation at Oxford. (laughs) Good for her. Sorry, I got to leave film set. I got to go graduate from college. Sorry, everyone. <laughs> and finally, as Zhao, Rick Yoon. Before this, he was in Snow Falling on Cedars and The Fast and the Furious. After this, he's in a bunch of one-off action movies that I hadn't really heard of. Olympus Has Fallen, Marco Polo on Netflix, the 2017 reboot of Prison Break, and Alita Battle Angel.
0: He's a pretty good actor. I like him.
1: It's okay. There's nothing for him to do. His
0: role sucks because, like, he's He's there
1: to have metal in his face and drive a car fast,
0: and and then be whitewashed. That's his role. He's the guy who doesn't get to be completely turned into another human being. He didn't get to sit under the neon face
1: mask long enough. God Almighty, the Asian erasure in this movie. It's not good. It's gonna get worse anyway. um, Great. He is our first Korean henchman since Odd Job. Oh. I loved Odd Job. Odd Job was great. And his diamond encrusted makeup took three hours to apply.
0: Really? That's just gluing dots on your face.
1: Well, then you also had to whitewash him.
0: Oh, that—that's what. It took.
1: <laughs> oh god! Sometimes things get real when you talk about James Bond.
0: <laughs> Why couldn't it just be someone losing their foot? We have to be racist. There's a lot of racism in Bond. Yes. The misogyny is one thing, but the racism is real.
1: Arpons, <sighs> <sighs> random people of note. We have, of course, Judy Dench's M and John Cleese's Q. We have Colin Salmon returning as Charles Robinson. Brosnan was unavailable to do the screen testing, so Colin Salmon filled in for this film. He did all of the screen testing with the prospective Bond girls. We have Samantha Bond returning his money penny. <laughs> we'll get there. We'll get there. Okay. Michael Madsen as Damian Falco. This was another what the fuck stunt casting moment.
0: Why are you here? You are distracting and just like, I, I'm sorry. I just see Michael Madsen. I was like, go dance to your music, please. <laughs>
1: <laughs> please just go, go. Go dance to Steelers' wheel and cut off an ear, okay? Yeah, go do that. Will Yun Lee as Colonel Moon, the Korean general who "quote unquote" dies. uh, He, we've seen him before. He played Captain Cho in 2012's Red Dawn. Oh, okay. Funny enough, his credit in the film does not appear until after his role is already completed. (laughs) Kenneth Sang as General Moon. He is a stalwart of John Woo and Hong Kong cinema including The Killer, Better Tomorrow, Super Cup, The Replacement Killers, and Rush Hour 2. Hmm. Emilio Echeverria as Raul. He has worked a lot with Alfonso Cuarón and Inyaritu in movies like Ito Mamá Tambien, Babel, and in the recent version of The Alamo, he played Santa Ana. Okay. As Mr. Kill, we have Lawrence Makoare. He is a Kiwi Maori actor who has played various bad guys in the Lord of the Rings and Hobbit films. We have Douglas Bunn as a U.S. Marine. The fun fact about him is he was a set plasterer on Casino Royale and Quantum of Solace. It's just a random crew guy. I like it. We have David Giamarco as the jump pilot. He is a longtime production assistant who had worked on Bond since the previous film, The World is Not Enough. We have Madonna as Verity.
0: (laughs) Okay. I know it's stunt casting, but that's the perfect place to put her.
1: Michael Madsen, if Michael Madsen is the worst type of stunt casting, this is the best type of stunt casting cuz
0: it totally fits her personality. Uh-huh. And it's the right spot to put a super crazy famous person. And honestly, she's good. Yeah, she
1: she's like, not overdoing it, she's not hamming it up, she's playing the character. And she's she not-
2: provides the exposition that she needs. Exactly. And that's it.
1: We have Deborah Moore, Sir Roger Moore's daughter. She is a flight attendant. Oh. And producer Michael G. Wilson, because he makes an appearance in everything. Mm-hmm. Um, he is credited as General Chandler, but he also has another uncredited cameo as a man leaning against a car in the Cuba scenes.
0: <laughs> okay. <laughs>
1: Speaking of stunt casting, let's talk about our song.
0: Oh, okay. If, if we must.
1: Die Another Day by Madonna. Oh God. Oh, I will. I will say this for this song. It is earwormy. It's catchy. But it is so not a Bond song. <laughs> it is a
0: 2002 song. Uh mm-hmm. huh. It is a 2002 Madonna song. Other than that, I think this is the worst Bond song.
1: Well, you know who would agree with you for this? Everybody. Sir Elton John. Thank you, Elton. He was quoted as saying it is the worst Bond tune ever.
0: It's a good (laughs) tune, but maybe not a good Bond tune.
1: Oh, God. It's so not right.
0: This should have been been the second song on the credits. Yeah. On the end credits.
2: But I did like that they reworked it as a dance song for the Ice Palace.
0: That perfect. That, that was perfect. kind of funny in its own way. <laughs> yeah, but no as your opener, no thank you. It's
1: just so weird especially for it to score that torture sequence. Like I do understand going more electronic. That actually makes a ton of sense, especially with you're, you're doing something really gritty in this opening sequence. Mhm. But this is not the right vibe. No. And the lyrics are the lyrics are so forced. Like this whole thing of I'm going to give up my body mm-hmm. because it's like, is this a dance song about how you're going to dissociate from yourself when you're being tortured? What the hell is going on?
2: I mean, that's what I like to dance to. I don't know about you.
1: <laughs> it debuted at the number eight spot in 2002 and was simultaneously nominated for the Golden Globe and Golden Raspberry for the best and worst original song of the year. <laughs> uh. All right. Trivia. The book that 007 picks up from the Cuban sleeper agent is A Field Guide to the Birds of the West Indies, written by an author named James Bond. Hmm. Fleming, who was an avid bird watcher, named Bond's character after this specific author.
2: Oh, that's so fun.
1: Hmm. I love that. The film speed was increased during the sword fight to make everything look faster than it was really happening. Yes, you can tell. Oh, God. There were so... Like, they're going from rapiers to broadswords to katanas. Like, this, I was like, you know, it's fine when they're fencing. And then Graves grabs a katana and I went, what the fuck is happening now? Like, is somebody going to stop them? They're breaking everything. (laughs) They kind of wrecked the place.
2: Mm -hmm. I'm going to have to go back and rewatch that scene now that you've said that it got sped up because I didn't notice that.
1: The North Korean tactic to get around the minefields in the demilitarized zone is fictional, but the Mythbusters tested it and found that the concept was plausible. Hmm. So,
2: interesting. Mm, I don't like plausible when it comes to mines.
1: (laughs) (laughs) The Ice Palace itself took six months to build. Barbara Broccoli saw a photo of an ice hotel up in, I think, Scandinavia Mm -hmm. while on plane. it's in Sweden, I think.
2: Yes. Well, it's a real thing. It yeah. is a real
1: thing. It is in Sweden. And she thought that would be great for this film. And the problem was they set it in fucking Iceland.
0: <laughs> the one thing anyone knows about Iceland.
1: If, if you've ever seen D2, The Mighty <laughs> Ducks, Greenland is ice and Iceland is nice. Yeah. Iceland is a land of rolling hills and elves and fairies.
2: Yeah, And they have a volcano,
1: I think. Yes. There is no ice. There is, there has never been, nor would there ever be able to be, an ice hotel. Yeah, so I'm just
2: imagining them looking at the map, you know, getting ready to go do their filming, and they're like, mm, "Oh, Iceland, that'll be the perfect place." No, might no
1: might have just done. been tax breaks. You never know. They <laughs> they know how to make a dollar stretch in this franchise. It's just sad. It's just sad. And as we noted, filming had already started. And Tomahori said he wanted a car chase through the palace. Mm-hmm. So they had to completely rebuild the set. Oh. Because they had to build girders into the ice palace uh-huh. to support Put the, the cars, cars, the cameras.
0: Okay, well, that scene is awesome, so I don't care. They it, have the money, whatever.
1: In order to get all of that to work, they had to strip the engine and the running gear from both the Aston Martin and the Jaguar, mm-hmm. and they replaced it all with V8 engines, four-wheel drive kits and four-speed automatic transmissions from Ford Explorers <laughs> to get them to perform that well on ice. I get that. Depending on who you ask, it took four weeks or four months to complete the filming of that whole sequence. Mm-hmm. The cars never got over 20 miles per hour. I believe it. And they instead undercranked the cameras so that the speed rate went higher, so yeah. it looked like they were going faster.
2: I get that. They really messed with the speed in this movie.
1: They did.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that makes sense.
1: For something like that, that's what you have to do to be safe. But there's some times where they did it where you were like, who cares? I don't, (laughs) it's, just do it. They finished close-ups and control shots for that sequence in a set built in a hangar in England. And after all of that work, they still had to do a bunch of digital rendering to add the ice and tidal waves. Jesus. All of that, and they still had to do a crap ton of CGI. That's absurd. Uh, This movie's absurd. This franchise has thrived for so long on not doing digital effects. To throw that many into this movie, I understand why people were turned off. Mm -hmm. Because this is a movie that has almost always been done practically with practical effects. Mm -hmm. So to just all of a sudden have all the CGI there was like, what the fuck is happening? This is the first Bond film to feature an Aston Martin as the official Bond car in quite some time. It's only the second movie in the franchise, on Her Majesty's Secret Service being the first, to feature Bond's office. Every other movie, we don't see him in his actual office.
0: Oh, yeah, he has an office. Uh
1: huh. He doesn't go to an office. His office is the world and <laughs> uh, the bedroom. The film had 20 different product placements. And there was $70 million worth of products featured in the movie. It is by far one of the largest product placement campaigns in movie history.
0: Yeah, that sounds about right.
1: And to many in the press, this film became known as Buy Another Day because of (laughs) how much product placement was in the movie. (laughs) None of the main cast actually went to Iceland, which happened... (laughs) This is the second time that's happened. They've had another movie set in Iceland, I think, for one of the skiing sequences, and nobody went there. Despite a quarter of the movie being set there, nobody set foot in that country.
0: That's insane.
1: The frozen lake where the car chases happened doesn't actually freeze naturally. It's super high in salt and close to the ocean. They considered moving those scenes to New Zealand. But instead, what they decided to do was dam the river that flowed into the sea for filming. And within two days, the lake froze to six and a half feet deep worth of ice, and they were able to film. Mm. And that year, tourism spiked in Iceland, with people wanting to stay in an ice hotel. (laughs) Wrong country. They came to find that Iceland's climate can't support a building like that. This was released around the franchise's 40th anniversary. All of the previous Bonds showed up to attend, except for Sean Connery, who claimed he was busy filming a movie, which was probably the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Oh, okay. Jinx and Bond's sex scene had to be trimmed for seven seconds to get the PG-13 rating? Like, that is one of the few actual sex scenes we've ever had in a Bond film. Mm -hmm. We normally see post-coital scenes, but we never see an actual sex scene but during the filming of that scene, Halle Berry choked on a fig and Brosnan had to perform the Heimlich maneuver. <laughs> oh, wow. That's <laughs> romantic.
0: Yeah, that's unfortunate. That's not, that's not how you want that to go. It's
1: just so nice to undercut the BS of it
0: all. It, it does. Just that's- to
1: hear this trivia. The recently passed away Desmond Llewellyn's son, Justin Llewellyn, is an extra in the fencing scene.
0: That's nice.
1: Because they couldn't actually film in Cuba, they recreated all of that in Pinewood and Cadiz, Spain. Okay. Fencing Club saw a marked increase in members and interested people taking up fencing after this film. Okay. This is the last film to use the gun barrel sequence at the beginning of the movie until Spectre in 2015. Where did it go? I think it goes at the end. That's not oh. true.
0: They used it in Casino Royale.
1: Yes, but they don't do it right at the top of the film. In all the previous iterations, the first thing we see is the gun barrel sequence, and then we lead into the pre the the first part of the intro. Hmm. Uh, this is the last time they did that until Spectre. I don't know if I believe that so much. Anyway,
0: technicalities.
1: This is the first sex scene we ever see between Bond and Money Penny.
0: <laughs> yes,
1: in <laughs> virtual reality. Okay. I, mean, um,
0: I was um just testing it out.
2: Oh. It's rather hot, isn't it? Yes. Very
1: I love it. So we much. first saw that scene, you were like, oh come on, this is and then we saw she was in VR and you were like
0: I'll allow it. Okay, it's <laughs> pretty
1: good. Yeah, I think <laughs> this this is worth it. You know, that's a fun bit. That's a fun bit to play with money, Penny.
2: It's a fun way to reutilize the VR
0: idea. Like, what do you really want to be doing with the VR? Yeah, I mean, that's it's something that would be on everyone's mind, and I like that it's her doing it instead mm-hmm. of him or a, yes. a, a, a dude. I like that it's the lady doing it. I think that's hilarious.
1: And then John Cleese just slowly realizing what just happened. Yeah. The introduction of the Icarus satellite required the most lights ever required in a British film. Okay. Despite doing great numbers in its opening weekend in South Korea, there was significant protests of its depiction of Americans ordering around the South Korean military. Of course. I wonder why. They made it seem like South Korea was a U.S. colony.
0: I mean, I wouldn't be too happy either.
1: Oh, it gets worse.
0: Oh, oh, sure it does.
1: So it then, as a result of those protests, dropped out of the top 10 by its second week, and some theaters in South Korea started pulling the film. Oh, okay. Partially for profit backlash and partially because they were like, this offends us. They also had issues because of the sex scene with Halle Berry near a statue of Buddha. (laughs) Okay. Which is pretty god-awful when you start to think about it. Like, in in the moment in 2002, you're like, yeah, whatever. And then you start to think about what that means. And you're like, that's terrible. Why did you do that? The Korean reps for Fox anticipated those issues and stated, there are some misunderstandings about the movie. The enemy described in the movie are extreme nationalists, not North Koreans. They They tried to soft pedal it. And okay, fine. Mently, Tomahori opened his damn mouth. Uh-oh. He lit everything on fire by telling the press, "Quote to hell with North Korea. It's a basket case country, and the sooner its leaders all roll over and die, the better." Oh, that's
2: a good thing to go on the record for. <gasps> good
1: quote there. Sarcastic, of course. <laughs> this then caused the North Korean official to call for an end to the screenings by stating the film was quote a dirty and cursed burlesque." aim to slander North Korea and insult the Korean nation. This was all going on during a time when South Korea and North Korea were in some vague reunion talks. Ah, This was in a little bit of reunification, and they've they've flirted with that back and forth at certain times. But, like, this is all going on right now. Hmm. And Rick Yoon, the actor, had to step in and try to settle some stuff by saying, That the enemy wasn't North Korea and it wasn't related to President Bush's statement of North Korea being part of the axis of evil. Which also happened right around this time. Jesus. (laughs) So if we thought that the depictions in the film are bad, the people involved in the film were just as bad.
0: They're really bad about talking about it in the
1: film. Just don't talk. This is one of the few times alternate source music is used in a Bond film by using London Calling by The Clash. I used it horribly. I was annoyed when it came It was a little weird.
0: It was just so
1: out there. James Bond is the most British film character of all time. Do you really need to punctuate it by playing London Calling?
2: That's the thing you would play in a scene of an American who has no idea what London Calling is about. Going
0: to London. There you, you as, go. You might as well play "God Save the Queen." Like it's just, it's just weird. <laughs> it it's it's not it's not good. Uh, it's like our version of "Born in the USA." Yes.
1: Yeah.
2: It's it's not right. No.
1: no, it's so bad. Wei Lin Michelle Yeoh's character from Tomorrow Never Dies was supposed to return in this film to help Bond in Hong Kong. Oh,
0: that would have been cool.
1: But they could not reach an arrangement with Michelle Yeoh. Oh, okay. And so instead they created another agent and did that role. She
0: probably cost too much money at that point.
1: Yeah, probably. Yeah, she should because she's the shit. Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon had already come out. Yep, and she's amazing. The hovercraft chase sequence was filmed near an actual working airport. The pilots got spooked about gunfire and explosions- Being at an actual working airport. Mm -hmm. So they worked out a schedule where they could film when the airport wasn't as busy. So I guess they just found the dead hours and filmed around them. The Hong Kong hotel that James visits is called the Ruby Eon Royale Hotel. This is a reference to several things. Ruby being the 40th anniversary. Eon being Eon Productions, the producer of this film, and Royale being a reference to Casino Royale, the first Bond novel. Okay. That's nice. I like that.
2: See, that's, again, we're, we're integrating those references in a fun way.
0: Yeah, without, like, shoving it
1: down your throat. The futuristic weapon Colonel Moon used in the film is an actual prototype weapon, a Heckler & Koch OICW created as part of the U.S. Army Soldier 2000 program. I kind of remember this being, like, this robotic tech stuff that the army was talking about at one point mm-hmm um, what it is is a grenade launcher on top of a two twenty three caliber assault rifle and a digital camera on top of that with optical sights.
2: hmm, how many megapixels
1: <laughs> I don't know this is two thousand two, so not <laughs> like that many. three yeah, the camera was actually supposed to be linked to a display in the helmet, so they had like heads up displays and visors
0: hmm.
1: That allowed the soldier to shoot around corners and transmit live footage of a combat situation. This is the first time that Bond has a beard in any of the Bond films. It's a bad beard, but it is a beard. Yep. The trailers for this film were shown at screenings of Austin Powers in (laughs) Goldmember because Dan Jack and New Line Cinema had to settle out of court. Hmm. All of the promotional materials for Goldmember had to be withdrawn early in 2002 because of this lawsuit. Dan Jack actually got a cease and desist order, and Dan Jack, I should say, Eon Productions is like the main flagship, but I think Dan Jack is their one that produces the Bond movies. I don't know, but it's one of their production companies. So it's just the producers of Bond. They got a cease and desist order from the MPAA arbitration panel that New Line Cinema was trading on the Bond franchise without prior authorization because of the name Goldmember. Hmm. They said, you're using our name, Goldfinger, for your own purposes, without our permission. Hmm. So for a brief amount of time in 2002, Goldmember was literally titled, quote, the third installment of Austin Powers until they got the dispute resolved. Hmm. That is what they had to call it.
2: So what did they think that the spy who shagged me was named after? Why wasn't that a problem?
0: Parody protection.
1: Parody protection, but also their lawyers went, you know, on that one, I don't know if we can do anything. On this one, we can get them. I don't know. I think it's a stretch. Their lawyers must have just been like, we can sue and win. And they did. And this film contains the biggest explosion ever committed to film outside of America. I don't remember which explosion it is, but it does contain that within this film. Some wild ass rumors about this movie to end this off. Rumor, Bill Clinton was going to appear as a politician in the film. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Rumor, the whole movie was going to be shot in Ireland as a tribute to Pierce Brosnan. The plot would be the kidnapping of the British Prime Minister in Dublin, and the villain would be American... Played then by Kevin Spacey. Ew. Yep, ew. Rumor, published reports suggested Whitney Houston was considered for Jinx Johnson. Oh, okay. Rumor that Saffron Burroughs and Salma Hayek were considered to star in this film. Salma Hayek would have been good. A rumor that Billy Connolly was going to play a villain in the teaser. He would have been a great villain. That got squashed when he didn't show up. And (laughs) finally, the biggest one, the biggest rumor. Sean Connery filmed a cameo as Bond's father that was never used.
0: That would have been awesome. I'm sorry. I I will be over the moon if any of the Bonds show up in any cameo capacity. I don't care if they're just in a tux drinking a martini in a place in Bond 25. If any of them are in Bond 25 drinking a fucking martini, I will be happy. That'd be pretty fun.
1: And the only two that I could see doing it now, Lazenby, I don't think would ever, they would never let him back.
0: All of the previous Bonds have emphatically endorsed Daniel Craig.
1: Yes, they have.
0: So I could see any of them coming back for 25 just to do that.
1: Dalton and Brosnan would be the two I would probably be like, I would be willing to wager money. Connery's never doing a movie again.
0: I could see him them convincing him to do that.
1: He might do it, too. I could
0: see no lines, just sit in a tux, drink a martini.
1: Would he pay me $5 million?
0: They would. I know they, they would. would. They would pay him 20, <laughs> $20 million to wear a tuxedo. We won't even make you wear a toupee. Because he wore a toupee throughout all of his films.
1: Yes, he did. Because he was already going. Was quite the toupee. <gasps> Ratings.
0: Okay, what's our rating scale?
1: So, for every movie, Becca, we come up with an individual rating scale tied to the film. Okay. In this one, I think we have to go Ice Palaces. Ooh. I think
0: that's Ooh, how many Ice far. Palaces we do out of five and half points are allowed? Yes.
2: Okay.
0: David has to go first. I will go first. Okay.
1: Boy, howdy, after all of that, after talking about this mm-hmm. movie being bad, it's also still fun. I'm giving it a two. Okay. It's not the worst Bond movie I've ever seen.
0: It's not the worst Bond movie.
1: It might be the most Buck Wild. Okay. And the most ridiculous Bond movie I might have seen. But it's not the worst. I agree with that. Because statement. there's so much going on that at no point did I really feel bored. Mm-hmm. I did ask myself what the hell I was watching a couple of times, but I never felt bored about it. Mm-hmm. And so I think I'm going to go too. Mm-hmm. It's fair.
2: That's a good assessment.
1: I'm going with
0: my first instinct. Yes, I'm going that's with, what you should do. I, I'm, I'm going with a two and a half. Wow. Because, because I get for the same reasons, but it's just like. I didn't hate my experience watching this. I was just like this movie is dumb. This is this is dumb. <laughs> it might be the dumbest movie. It's not the worst. It's not. It it can be the dumbest and not be the worst. Yeah. I think that's its distinction in the 20 films that I've watched. 20. I, I I know it's <laughs> it's so many movies. It's so many movies. At least
1: we spread them out over a f- a, a year and a half or so. It, yeah. All right, so what is your rating, Becca?
2: I think I'm going to have to agree and go two and a half ice palaces out of five. Because again, it's it's weird, but I definitely had fun. Uh-huh. But it is extremely flawed in many ways to the point where it kind of loses some of its seriousness.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: So I don't know. The fun factor makes up for a lot of that, but it, mm. it can't make it all the way up. <sighs> I felt like I had less fun as an adult watching it than I did as a kid. <laughs>
1: the, the, the
0: suspension of disbelief is much harder as an adult.
1: Yeah. Watching the Roger Moore ones when I was a kid, and then watching them now, and being like, why did I like these so much? These were boring.
2: I mean, when Zal pulls out his Sony Ericsson to scan James Bond from, like, 20 feet away, I just started laughing.
0: Uh-huh.
2: So like I had Sony's
0: fun, <laughs> but it was kind of weird. I always like it now when they use a Nokia. I was like, I don't Oh heck yeah! I was so cool with my Nokia.
1: <laughs> Sony Ericsson, my uh, god! I
0: pulled out the
2: Sony Ericsson to scan him. That is it. That's the movie. Yeah.
1: Next week we have Casino Royale. We're changing gears completely. Yeah, that's
2: which I think funny. many people say is one of the better ones. Like one of the best of the best. It's probably.
0: One of my favorites.
1: It's going to be an interesting discussion. Because having seen all of these together, I have a different appreciation for that movie. I remember at the time loving it, and now thinking about it going, I have some different feelings about this.
0: It's a very different film, and it has a very different goal in mind than all of these other ones that we've watched. So yeah, it's just very, very
1: strange. But before then, Becca, if people wanted to find you, On the wonderful world of the internets, where could they find you?
2: If people want to find me, wow, I'd be so honored. You can look on the Twitter, at Arcade Becca, because I couldn't think of anything else that was creative in any way. You can also hear my wonderful voice on the Dungeons & Dragons podcast, Magic Folk. And that's at Magic Folk Pod on Twitter and also on Instagram, which I have not updated in a long time. (laughs) So yeah, that's pretty much it.
1: Magic Folk is... The best D&D podcast in podcasting. Aww,
2: I said it. That's so sweet. We're getting close to our end game. So if you want to catch up and catch the finale as it happens, now is the time.
1: Do it. You won't be disappointed. Mm. It's the most delightful characters. I love them
2: Yeah, so it's, it's really fun. Um, mm-hmm. I play a vaguely Scandinavian druid. <laughs> and I do a horrible accent for his voice. So, I apologize to any actual Scandinavians who may or may not ever hear me do that. I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> it's all made su- up.
1: He's just a sweet, sweet boy. Sweet, sweet.
2: He's boy. a sweet boy. He's a nice boy. <laughs> he is a nice boy.
1: All right. Well, until next time.
0: Bye, everybody. Goodbye. <laughs>